podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Did you ever hear of the word quiditas before? The quiditas factor is the name of today's guest, Michael Abue's podcast. Well, I know it's a Latin word. I learned it when I passed the bar exam. That's interesting. I never knew you were a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, but I'm licensed to identify every bar on Mount Podcastia. Attention, rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, the Cool Mount Podcastia air that you are inhaling is a result of the Yaks Burrito Dinner. Welcome to Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. Now, podcasting from the Sherpa Chalet on Mount Podcastia, he's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to Too Many Podcasts. It is the podcast about podcasts, and I am your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa, coming to you from Mount Podcastia in the Sherpa Chalet, Welcome all, welcome all. Normally, I do shows where I get to speak to podcasters, and I also have episodes where I get to speak to actors and writers and directors. And guess what? I get to do all of that today with my guest. Who's our guest today, Sherpa? His name is Michael Arboway, and we're going to get to know him. A really interesting guy who's definitely accomplished a lot as an author, as well, an actor, a director, a writer, a foodie, the host of the podcast, The Quiditas Effect. I think I said that right. We'll get to that anyway, and we will learn what Quiditas means. And not only that, we will find out how Rudy Giuliani inspired one of his most suspenseful movies, and it had nothing to do with leaking hair dye. I promise you, I promise you. Coming up after the interview, you gotta stick around, because you know what? We're gonna do a Sherpa samples that I think I need to apologize for. (laughs) You'll understand when we get to that, but first, enjoy my interview with Mr. Michael Arboy. Hello there, Rebels. You know, I don't know which episode this falls under. We have an guest today who is an actor, a writer, a director, a foodie, and a podcaster. So I don't usually have too many acting podcasters. <laughs> so uh, I'm really glad to speak to him and get to meet him today. He is coming to us from NYC, I believe. And his name is Michael Arbouet. And he hosts the podcast, I, I hope I'm going to say this right, The Quiditas Factor. The Quiditas Factor. Quiditas. I went to a- a Latin school in, uh, in Long Island, so they made us te- learn Latin when I was younger. <laughs> 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 so, you know, it's funny because uh, I interviewed Robert Wall a while back, and he actually hosted a podcast called Ipso Facto. Oh, <laughs> oh that's so funny. <laughs> so you're the second Latin podcast title that I know of. <laughs> so, so you were a kid who grew up on Long Island, and I know when you went to college, you actually majored in film. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
were you into acting at all before that, or did you just like it as an art? Were you a big movie fan? How did that I was work a big, for you? Big movie fan. Um, when I was a teenager, my my best friend John Saltano, his father had a video camera, and this was in the early eighties. And you know, we we found it in the closet, and, and we were like, "Oh, can can we use this?" And he was like, "As long as you don't break it, you know, we just use it for vacations." Mm-hmm. So there was this, this magical machine, you know, that we could make shows with. So me and my friends made a little, uh, um, we thought we were like the next Saturday Night Live. So we made a little show called Toss, the original skit. <laughs> and we, uh, we did little acts and little skits on camera. And then we'd show it to our family and friends and people just loved it. But from using that video camera, I started to do a little bit of acting. I started to learn how the camera worked. And, uh, then I, I then when I found that you can have a career, like in making movies and television, I was like, yes, yes, this is what I want to do. But of course, like the big, Film schools were really hard to get into. I didn't get into NYU. I didn't get into UCLA. But, uh, you know, Hofstra had a small uh, film and theater program and CW Post had a small um, program. So at first I tried to get into Hofstra because I found out that George Lucas, um, not George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola went to Hofstra. But I found that Francis Ford Coppola only went to the theater program. So I said, okay, no, I want to do film. And that's how I ended up uh, choosing Long Island University, which is CW Post. What was your first movie that you made while you were in college? Do you remember? Oh yeah, when I was in school, it's funny. I I, I was a big Harrison Ford fan. He was to me, he's like the best actor that I've ever seen. So I saw Star Wars like 172 times by the time I was like 18. And then the second movie they saw um, about 62 times was Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I did like a spoof on Raiders because um, um, earlier in the summer I'd gone to Universal. I bought the Raiders hat and, you know, they had at that time at Universal, they had the Indiana Jones Spectacular. And so, you know, when they asked people from the audience, hey, do you want to be in this? I thought there were going to be a thousand people like yelling, me, me, you know, but I raised my hand and the guy goes, okay, you come down, you know, and I was all excited. So I was, I played one of like the Arabs running away from um, the, the crooks and Indiana Jones got his whip out and they do the whole kind of show. Mm-hmm. But I got, I, I got the hat and the jacket from that show. And so when I got back to film school, I made like a little spoof about uh, Raiders, like uh, an old uh, filmmaker finding an old film from another filmmaker at the school. (laughs) (laughs) And now Michael has actually made a few movies. He's made The Bistro. Uh, I Could Have Been Five Feet, which is about underage smoking. Uh, They Stole a House, which is about the zombie houses on Long Island. And One that I saw, the New York Minute. Now, that is five minutes of the most intense short movie that I think a person can ever watch. (laughs) That's a funny story. Um, I was shooting another short film in Manhattan, and unbeknownst to us, we'd gotten there at 6 a.m., but we wrapped around noon, but when we went to leave, we couldn't leave because all of a sudden there was a parade on the street. We were shooting on Broadway, um, 15 Broadway. And so we were stuck there for hours. So I decided to film this, um, you know, parade and it turned out to be the Sammy Sosa parade. And I said, you know, as I'm watching it, I I see uh, Mayor Giuliani, you know, in this car and there's a convertible. And I said, they still do that? Like, you know, after the Kennedy assassination? (laughs) And I just became obsessed with, okay, I'm going to try to recreate that. But I, I would do it in a way where not only would it be exciting, but in the final countdown of the uh, movie, it's actually a minute. <laughs> really? 
Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's it's amazing that, you know, usually for something that short, you, you don't expect to get drawn into it that quickly, but it basically... Uh, I mean, you know, we, we, we get the plot right here, but mm-hmm. when the, when the guy walks into the apartment and, you know, you just see the look on his face, you're like, uh Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and then everything just kind of spirals from there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just had a great cast. Those three actors, you know, we did it in, in a day and a half and they were just wonderful to work with. And, and yeah, they, they did everything that I wanted and, um, they kept up the attention. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was kind of sweating it out by the end of the movie. <laughs> it was the sweatiest five minutes I've ever done, Michael. <laughs> Obviously, the, uh, they, they stole a house. I mean, it's, it's a serious issue with Long Island. And I guess also when you consider what the, the housing market is, it's probably not going to get better anytime soon. Yeah, no, it was crazy. And the only reason why I started the documentary was because uh, five years ago, um, when my my kids were little, uh, my neighbors, they were going through financial problems and they had a lot of medical problems. And so they told us right before Super Swim Sandy that they were going to move and they were going to move to Atlanta because they, they, they had to declare bankruptcy. So I said, okay, that's so sad, but you know, good luck. And so for a couple of, of months after Super Swim Sandy, I, you know, I cut their lawn. I took in their mail, but then about a month later, I saw that somebody moved in and I said, Oh, now that's weird. I didn't see any for sale signs. You know, I guess there was a foreclosure to the bank, but then I found that another month later that it wasn't, they were squatters. And so every time I called the cops, they said, Nope, it's a civil matter. We can't do anything about it. You know, and I tried to find out the call the bank and the bank said, no, the house is in foreclosure. So it's the person's living there. I'm like, the person's not living there. They left. They're in Atlanta, you know, and I was going back and forth, back and forth. Then I realized like this is a bigger problem, you know? And so I started doing research and I found that there were hundreds of houses abandoned all over Long Island. And they're all kind of like in this weird, you know, like zombie type of a situation where the bank doesn't claim ownership, but neither does the homeowner. And then a lot of those homes end up having either squatters living in them or they just fall into disarray. And, you know, I thought it would be a house here and there. But there was literally, at the time that I made the documentary, there was over 6,000 abandoned houses all over New York. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. No, I mean, we, we can only really hope for some legislation to kind of... Well, yeah, that's a funny thing. It's, it's crazy. I, I, I researched um, what if, there were, if anything uh, was being done about it. And it was like, no, it's like no one person wanted to take responsibility for it, you know? And that's what I thought was funny. So I interviewed like a bunch of um, lawyers and, and um, so lawmakers and ex-police officers because I couldn't get like people on the job to actually talk about it. But it was funny because they said that, uh, you know, they, it's, it's a civil matter and that, the, you know, the banks didn't want to own it and the county didn't want to own it unless there was a crime. And I said, how is it that if you steal a car, that's grand larceny, but if you steal a house, that's not a crime. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's, it's not a crime. And then these squatters know all these laws and all, I mean, there's an, one of the things I touch upon in the documentaries that there's an old law called adverse possession. Now this law was made in the 1800s. So if you can think back then during the gold rush, when people were moving out West, a lot of people didn't make it. They, they started from like New York. They started travel cross country. They ran out of money and they were stuck. So the government made this law saying that if you find a property and you clean it up and you take care of it, you can own it. And that's what adverse possession is. And some of these 
squatters have been using this law to literally steal houses from people. <laughs> that that is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that you know it doesn't get any worse. You know, and that it will get better. Now you yeah. you're also a writer. That where did writing? I mean, where did writing books come along uh, along your career? Well, it was so funny. I I've always been a screenwriter, and I, I wrote a script, and I was working on this trilogy, but it's uh, it's like you know. Uh, it would take like, you know, $300 million to make these movies, but I, I wrote a, a script called Gods mm-hmm. and it's on par with like Lord of the Rings and like, you know, the Avengers and that type of thing. But I wrote the first script and then I wrote the second script and then I wrote the third script and everyone loved it. And when they read it, they said, Oh, I would, I would love to see this in a movie. And I said, Yeah, me too, but I can't find the financing for it. And then my wife said, You know, why did you turn it into a book? And I said, oh, I never thought of that. I said, maybe people can get into it as a book. So I literally had to reverse engineer it. I had all the dialogue. And I normally, I think, in in form of visuals. But now I had to go back and add the visuals, you know, using words instead of a camera. So it was an interesting process. But um, I finished the first uh, book, which is called Gods. And I'm working on the second and third book now. And what, what does this deal? Does it deal with like ancient Roman gods and Norse gods and stuff? It's like that? funny. It, it basically what it's about is you know like when you look at history, you hear about like all these legends and and you know fairies and stuff like that. My book is on a take that all these things were actually real. You know, fairies are real and, and elves are real, but they all live in another world underneath this one. So they're like portals, like you know the. Uh, um, Stonehenge is a portal and, uh, the Aborea Balas is a portal and all these portals lead to this underground world. And there's a stalemate for like millions of years between the humans and these other races. And in the book, it's coming to a head where the war is, is at a stalemate, but it's not over. And the, the two worlds are going to merge again. So it's, it's like fantasy mixed with, you know, like sci-fi mixed with everything else. <laughs> and people can get this on, on Amazon or any, uh, yeah, we're we're books. Yeah, but it's basically uh, available on Amazon. Yes. Okay, and I guess probably one that uh, you wrote, which is probably very close to your heart, judging by the title alone, <laughs> a film guy with a chef's eye. Oh yes. Uh, so, um, being a low budget filmmaker, um, a lot of times we couldn't afford to hire craft services or chefs, but you have to feed your crew. So I learned very quickly how to cook. So I would, you know, write the script by night and tweak the shots and then also cook. And my wife would help me cook. And then on set, we bring out these dishes. So I learned how to cook for 50 people or for just a couple of people. And, you know, I ended up feeding my cast and crew with stuff that I made. And, and you consider yourself a foodie. What, what's your favorite cuisine? Oh, I love I love either Japanese cuisine or Italian food. So like both both I'm I'm like a fiend for, and I just love checking out new restaurants. And you know, Long Island has just tons and tons of restaurants. Like you could, you know, in the city there are nice restaurants, but it's funny how on Long Island and especially in Queens, you can walk you know six blocks and you can have Korean food, and then go another six blocks and it's Russian food, or it's you know, so uh, living in New York, we have a great sense of uh, cuisine, and you can literally have a taste of everything just by walking around uh, here in the island or in Queens. Are there any uh, specialties that you have for for your cooking? When, is there anything special that you like to make? Um, I it's funny. I've, I've gotten really into making uh, just different pastas. First, you know, um, from from scratch or from just you know um, cooking and just making my own sauces. So what's really interesting is that I always thought as I'm cooking, 
who thought about putting like basil with tomato sauce and who like thought of that? And I, then I just found the recipes interesting. Um, and it, it all kind of started because um, when I lived in California, I got, I got the chance to go to Wolfgang, Wolfgang Puck's restaurant and it was a very, a very expensive meal. Um, a celebrity had brought us to this restaurant and after the meal, you know, I saw the bill and I said, wow, that's what, that was a really expensive meal. It was like over two grand. And I, but it, the food was good, but it wasn't like, okay, now I can die. So in my head, I'm thinking, I can make this, you know, there's no reason why I can't make this. And so that's when I kind of got obsessed with, you know, buying cookbooks and then trying things out. And then I went to high school with Donatella Apaya, who was a drudge on um, the Food Network. And um, through her, I got to meet Bobby Flay. And I asked Bobby Flay, I said, you know, what's your secret? You know, you, was it just going to culinary school and learning things? And he said, no, he goes, I, 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 in my show, you see it, I have a test kitchen. You know, I go to different restaurants. I taste something. I, I like it. I, I test it out. It, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. But that's how people come up with recipes. I literally just keep trying different combinations. They like going to old mom and pop restaurants where they have a dish that no one's heard of. And they have something that they may put in it that you might think, oh, wow, I never tasted this before. Like So like in Korean cooking, they use lemon leaves, not actual lemons and lemon zest, but the lemon leaf has a little bit more of a lemon flavor, flavor than the actual lemon. So that's something interesting that I never knew about until I went to a Chinese market and they gave me these, these cool ingredients. <laughs> that's really fascinating. Now, do, do you have like a, a desert island food that like if you got stuck and you can only eat like maybe one or two meals? <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, uh, shamefully, I'm addicted to ice cream. So if I, I, if I never had ice cream again, I think, and especially gelato. So like people don't know the difference between ice cream and gelato. Gelato is thicker, it's denser, and it's creamier. So if you love like soft ice cream, but you wanted something that was rich, uh, that that's a gelato. <laughs> well, you know, it's an island. Hopefully, we just have you'd have a freezer to keep freezer. it. Cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, when you were uh, doing some acting, you were actually in some some Star Trek fan movies. Yes, you know, it's funny. Uh, I have a friend named George Kane. And um, he's always been a fan, a Star Trek fan, and I helped him with one or two films. And then, um, you know, we're also fans of the series. And so he'd seen me do uh, a Warp impression. So the first Star Trek films I did, I played Klingons, you know, like, you know, so I, I had that deep voice and I can, I can do the Klingon and, I, you know, I learned Klingon languages. So I did one fan film and then other Star Trek filmmakers asked me to be in their films. So um, for a while I did, I played a Klingon, but then later on, uh, my friend George did a series called Antilles where I play a, a, a doctor. So I am like a, a, a sci-fi doctor, like, you know, in space. Okay. You, you've piqued my curiosity. Would you mind favoring us with a little bit of uh, your Klingon voice? <laughs> my Klingon. So it's like, so one line would be like, by Jatalee Mev. And like, I am not here to discuss this. I'm a Klingon warrior. <laughs> I love it. I love it. See, everybody gets to do impressions on the show. <laughs> Except me because I'm terrible. <laughs> now, in, in your description to me, uh, we were corresponding. You said that you're almost famous. Yes. So <laughs> Tell me a story, Mike. What's really funny is that because I, I started out young um, making movies and I lived in California for two years and then moved back, I ended up meeting a lot of people in the business. So I've met over 80 celebrities and I've worked with at least 
40 of them in movies. <laughs> and so it's funny where I'll be talking to someone or I'll be on the set and never go, oh, there's Mike. You know, the, like the joke is like, oh, there's Johnny Drama. Oh, there's Mike Garboy. You know, so it was like a lot of people are like, how do you know that person, bro? How do you know that person? And I'm just like, oh, I, I worked with him on the movie on the set. Like, so like I, I've worked with Bill Sadler a couple of times, and Bill Sadler's an actor who is like been in everything. He's been in The Green Mile. He's been in, you know, uh, Shawshank Redemption. He's been in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So he's one of these character actors who's been in everything. And, you know, when you, meet an actor like that and then you work with him and then you work with another actor, they all tend to know each other. So through that and, and working through independent film, I've met a lot of, a lot of people. So um, if you go on my Facebook or my Instagram, you'll see me hanging out with all these celebrities. And to me, they're just regular people. They're like friends or colleagues, right. but like other people will look at them and go, Oh wow, you, you, you must be famous. And I'm like, well, almost, I, I don't have the, the money, you know, but, you know, I do get to hang out with a lot of interesting people. <laughs> I, I think there's the title for your next book, though, Almost Famous. <laughs> Were there any particular uh, actors or uh, directors that really left an impact with you? Well, it's funny. I, I've always wanted to meet Martin Scorsese, and I haven't yet, but I, I got the chance and the blessing to work with his daughter. So Dominica Scorsese made a movie um, two years ago called... Um, I forget the name of it. It's, uh, I want, I keep saying, is it almost Paris? I think it's almost Paris. She's just the nicest person. And, you know, working with her, you know, we talk about her dad and talk about her sisters because she's got like famous sisters now. And, you know, one's a um, clothing designer. The other one just is a younger sister who's acting now. It's just amazing to hear the stories about how when she grew up, you know, she grew up with Uncle Bobby, you know, and I'm like, oh, Robert De Niro? I would love to meet Robert De Niro, you know? And so it's, it's just interesting. Um, but like I said, it's very it's very humbling to get to meet and hang out with these people and and work with them on on a level to um, uh, to strengthen your craft. Sure. So, so it's funny. I never really considered myself an actor. I, I only took a couple of acting classes and I just laughed that people keep casting me in movies when I'm more comfortable behind the scenes. <laughs> so, uh, do you have any movie projects coming up that you can talk about? Um, yes. Funny enough, I, I, I met this guy named um, Brian Donahue, who um, if you're old like me in your 50s, you might remember this guy. He was a stuntman and he was always on David Letterman doing Pratt Falls and falling down. And um, this this guy's been in everything. He's been in a bunch of New York shows and television shows. And, uh, you know, uh, I saw him and I said, you know, uh, Brian, you, you're a background actor just like me. I said, you, you should you should have your own feature. And he goes, like, oh, Mike, from your lips to God's ears, I, I want to be in my own feature. And I, I said to myself, this guy deserves to be in a feature. So I called another friend of mine named Mike Lavaggio. And I said, let's write a script for this guy. You know, he's he's... Um, lives in Mineola, but he's originally from Boston. He's got that great Boston accent. Let's do a film. You know, so my friend Mike is an ex-police officer. So he writes this great, fantastic script about, uh, you know, the Irish mob. And so it's about this character who's going to do one last job before he leaves the, the life forever. And the, the funny thing is he was in witness protection and he comes out of witness protection to kind of like do this job. So that's, that's what we're working on right now. So we're working on funding and uh, we're, we're actually going to shoot like a teaser to get people interested in it so we can get some more financing. Well, that, that sounds like it'll be definitely interesting. And I'm probably sure it'll get that kind of suspense at the end like New York Minute does. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's funny. Um, and the reason how I met Mike was um, I produced a film with a director named Fred Carpenter, who's also a Long Islander. Um, and I ended up getting Sean Young in his movie. Mm-hmm. So in 2012, 2013, we made a movie called Send of Flowers, which you can see on Amazon, on TV. And I think it's a really interesting film because I've never seen any plot like this before. But just to give you the gist of it, it's about a daughter who's the, uh, you know, the daughter of a mobster. The mobster gets whacked. And she wants to take over the family, but none of the other mobsters don't believe in a woman running a family. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like what happens when she wants to run her own family anyway. Yeah. And your documentary was a behind the scenes look at the. Uh, I, 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 I did it behind scenes on the movie, but okay. I also produced the film as well. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's probably got to give you an interesting perspective when you know you've got one vision, and then you're talking to everyone who's got a part in that movie, and you kind of see there are reflection of of the whole movie making process it's funny it's weird because as a producer your job is to you know finance the film you know uh take care of the budget run the set and the, you're, you're hoping that the director has an, a vision that can portray what you know what you want to see so it's always interesting as a director myself how i may see things one way but then the the director will see things another way. So it's interesting to see how we can collaborate to get the vision out because what you write on the page rarely ends up on the screen. I will say that for, you know, every script that's written, maybe 40% gets up put on the screen. And if you can do that, you're very lucky. What got you into podcasting? Is it just because of all this background? We oh my goodness. So it's, talk about? it's funny you mentioned that. So as, as everyone knows, a couple of years ago, we got hit with this pandemic <laughs> and Hollywood got shut down. And I was itching to do something. And I was like, you know, I, I, I wasn't working and, you know, there was no projects. And then I, you know, I realized, I said, hey, you know, I know a lot of people in the business. I wonder if they would be on a show, you know? So I started thinking about it. And then um, I said, I'm just going to do it. I would just, you know, when my friends, when I run out of friends, I'll stop the show. And at four years later, I'm still doing it, <laughs> you know? So... <laughs> Uh, I haven't run out of people to interview. And every time I think, all right, that's it. I've interviewed every single ass friend I know. They'll, they'll mention it to somebody. And then I'll get a call saying, yeah, I'll be on your show. <laughs> and so like, yeah, the, the name of the show is called the Quiditas Factor. And, and Quiditas is a Latin word, which means the whatness or essence of being a person. <laughs> so I always wondered, like, what makes you you? And, and why, what, what makes you different from somebody else? How come this person made it and this person didn't? And like, it started kind of as a joke because um, I went to a, a Catholic high school called Kellenberg Memorial High School, which is here on Long Island. And the other big Catholic school is called Chaminade. And it just so happens that Ed Burns went to Chaminade High School. I went to Kellenberg High School. Uh, so we knew some of the same brothers and the same priests that taught us. But Ed Burns went on to do the Brothers Mullins. And he, read, he went on to do all these movies and he became famous. And we were kind of on the same path. And I'm like, if I had just made a left to the right, I'd be in the same boat. Like, what happened? <laughs> and years later, I got to meet him and talk to him. And we, we, we exchanged stories. And he said, I just never gave up. And I had a great support team. And he said, you just don't give up. And that seems to be the message for a lot of people who have made it. They've on Early on, they were not, not deterred, whereas other people might hit a roadblock and then just stop. <laughs> now, now you get to ask your guests that question, what is your quid de toss? I'm going to turn the tables on you and 
and ask you what is your quiditas? Um, I, I guess my my quiditas, my magic power or superpower. I guess it, it it it's the ability to to bring people together. You know, I I had this ability to meet someone and say, hey, you know who you should meet? You should meet. Ken over this, you guys will make a good team. Or, you know, I have a friend named um, Steven, um, who's an artist. And, you know, I just happened to be like, hey, you know, you should send a painting to like Chris Rock, or you should send a painting to this actor. They might like it. And it just so happens that he hustles and now his work is getting seen. So I, my, I think my power is that I'm able to bring people together. <laughs> uh, given that you've been doing this podcast for four years, <laughs> it's probably like a built-in ability now of a part of the superpower. We do have this portion, and we like to ask uh, podcasts. I'm speaking to the podcast when you this time, Michael. Uh, what are some of the podcasts that you like to listen to? Um, I like to listen to a lot of different ones, but one that I'm into right now is uh, uh, the Entourage podcast. So, if anyone who had, had HBO a couple of years ago, there was a television called Entourage, and it was about the Hollywood lifestyle. And I just thought it was so funny because, you know, back in 2006, Hollywood was very different than it is now, you know. So mm -hmm. back then, it was typical to have like, you know, the casting couch and be people being treated not so nice, depending on who you who you knew and who you didn't know and how the sets were run. Now, after the Me Too movement, a lot of things have changed. But it's still, some things have changed, some things have stayed the same. And so I always found that show very fascinating. And even though people find, people either love the show or hate the show. But when you listen to the podcast, Doug Allen really goes in depth about how he came up with the show. And it's funny, Doug Allen, another person who's a Hollywood guy, but he grew up on Long Island as well. And he's a New York guy as well. So it's interesting to see how the story is about a New York actor who moves to LA, but doesn't lose his like New York style or attitude. And it's about almost like a fish out of water where, you know, now they're in LA and he's living this lifestyle. And, is he going to succeed? Is he not going to succeed? What was real? What wasn't real? So it's, it's interesting to see what was taken from fiction and what was, what was reality. So the show is loosely based on Mark Wahlberg and his entourage. Mm -hmm. And so it's funny to see what was real and what wasn't real. Yeah. I, you know, I was sampling some of your show and I, I like the questions that you ask your guests because you kind of catch him off guard a little bit. You know, they're very deep questions. Is is there like a dream guest and with a dream question that you have? Um, yeah, I mean, I would, I, I, I've been, I would love to interview, um, you know, Martin Scorsese or, or you know, I would love to interview uh, uh, so many different actors. You know, uh, Robert De Niro, Harrison Ford, and just to find out like what it was like, you know, back in the seventies making movies because that was like another renaissance. So like. Um, in the filmmaking world, we go through these little mini renaissances. So like in the 50s, it was all about the studios and being signed to a studio contract. So the last studio contract actor that you may have heard of was Clint Eastwood. And he had signed a contract with a studio and his job was working on television. But when that kind of dried up and the studio system fell apart, he dove into indies and through luck, he ended up going to Italy and making these great Westerns and now become classics, you know? And when the studio system fell apart, then you have all these actors who were making all these independent films and there was like no rules. So you, that, that's where Jack Nicholson comes into play and, you know, um, all these great actors. And so that kind of like died off. And then the new generation 
of filmmakers came with Robert Rodriguez and, you know, Quentin Tarantino. And now it's kind of stalemated again. I'm curious to see what's going to happen because we're not getting those movie deals anymore. I remember back in the early 90s, if you were able to finish a film, you can get a deal. But now with, uh, you know, like the independent film, as far as that genre has kind of died and everything's gone to streaming. So a lot of people are not funding independent films anymore. They're funding blockbusters. So that's why you'll see in the theaters all these Marvel movies or all these movies that are based on books because they have a built-in fan base. So no one's going to put their money down unless that has some, you know, chance of making millions of dollars. So I'm hoping that we're going to go back to, you know, interesting stories, you know, and, you know, because there were a lot of interesting stories told in the 80s and 90s of movies that you wouldn't see made today. <laughs> well, at least if worse comes to worse, you still got a trilogy in yeah. your back pocket that you can hold up and go, hey, you want to make a big movie? Come on, let's talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> we have a portion of the show and it's called Shameless Self-Promotion. Shameless Self-Promotion. And this is where you can let everybody know where they can get in touch with you and uh, learn uh, what's going on in the world of Michael Lavoy so you can become even more famous. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like you said, I had this podcast it's called The Criticize Factor. It's available on all the... Uh, Anywhere where you listen to a podcast, but uh, the more, more popular streams that people listen on are Apple, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, uh, the big biggest ones that that um, that carry my my podcast. Um, if you go to mikearboy.com, you can see my uh, uh, where I, uh, where I keep you updated on my books or what I'm eating or you know what films I've done. And um, I'm, of course, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to keep up with that, you can. And it's all, yeah, the, my Instagram is film guy. Um, and then everything else is under Mike Arboy or, 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 or Michael J. Arboy. Okay, there you have it. Michael Arboy, the host and creator of the Quidditch Factor. I said it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> and so much more. So get to know this guy and especially check out that, that movie. It, it, it's a fun five minutes of your time, folks. Yeah, I swear, I promise you, you'll like it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It was great. It was great being a guest. Let's get back to the Sherpa. Sorry about that. So you're probably wondering, why is it that I have to apologize for this week's Sherpa samples? Well, you know, when I'm doing this show, I pick them off the charts, and they're not necessarily in any sort of order. They're usually just the shows that we haven't spoken about yet. So uh, I picked a lot of shows, and my first two were upbeat and positive, and everything else after that seemed to have some sort of dark story behind it. So if you don't enjoy listening to dark stories, maybe don't check out these podcasts, or better yet, maybe do, and you will find a new favorite amongst them. The first two that I started listening to were a podcast called Distractable, and that's hosted by three guys named Mark, Wade, and Bob. It's kind of what I call the dogpile comedy podcast, where one makes a joke, and another makes a joke, and another makes a joke, and so on and so forth, and it kind of goes like that. And they talk a lot about superstitions in this particular episode that I listen to. 
Also, I listen to a show that gives a new angle and re-examines certain things in pop culture, and it's called You're Wrong About, and it's hosted by a lady named Sarah Marshall. And the episode that I listened to uh, did deal with a lot of trivial stuff, and there were some interesting facts in there as well. I was really fascinated by it, and I listened to a second episode uh, which had a guest on it, and they talked about Tom Cruise jumping on the couch. This was a while ago during the Oprah days. You remember Oprah, right? Yeah, she owns a network now. She used to have a TV show with a couch. <laughs> okay, from there, uh, we get into the podcasts where there seem to be a lot of issues going on. So I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of a heads up. Uh, not all of them have like sweary language, but some of them have some maybe dark topics that if you like being scared, fantastic. If you like true crime, we got some of that in there for you too. I checked out a show called Darknet Diaries, and it is hosted by a guy named Jack Resider. And he, in this episode, uh, spoke to a guy who was stalked relentlessly on Instagram just by a hacker who wanted his Instagram handle. And this guy was doing all sorts of horrible things. He was ordering pizzas. He was uh, making threats to him and his family. And the ending is weird of this particular episode. It was intriguing, but it was definitely uh, a weird way for uh, a stalking episode to end. There was Counterclock, a true crime podcast, where they take a look at cold cases, you know, turning the clock back. That's where they got the name from. And it's hosted by Delia D'Ambra. And this particular story focused on a young teenager who was murdered in Florida and what happened from there with his murder. Another True crime podcast that I heard, and I know this doesn't sound like a comedy. Father Wants Us Dead. That's the actual name of the podcast. Uh, this one was a scary one, but it's really well done. It's about a guy named John List, uh, and he was this mild-mannered accountant who one day went to his house, uh, murdered his mother-in-law, his wife, and his children, and then disappeared. And this has to do with solving the murder and finding him. So this was really cool. Speaking of disappearing people, Up and Vanished is a very popular true crime podcast, which obviously has to do with missing people. It's hosted by Payne Lindsay. The particular episode that I listened to had to do with a missing Native American woman. And this is something that's very common in the United States, where a lot of Native Americans do go missing, and, and it has become quite a problem for the community. Now, if you want to talk spooky, you got to talk to one of the masters, Aaron Menke, who likes doing these really unusual kinds of podcasts and bringing you spooky stuff. Not enough to leave you screaming in the middle of the night or anything like that, but just scary stories. And the particular episode that I listened to for this one was the story of Lizzie Borden. And I thought it was really interesting. He definitely went into her history, her family history, what happened during and after the trial. This was stuff that a lot of people really don't know. So a lot of people just kind of know that poem. In case you don't know the poem, it's Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Uh-uh. A lot of untruths behind that. But check out that episode and you'll find out what the real story is. I also listened to Last Podcast on the Left, which is hosted by three guys who talk a lot about horror. The episode that I was listening to was about Blackbeard the Pirate. Ooh, scary. But of course, they make it a little goofy. So that wasn't too scary, I promise. I think I had actually mentioned this episode in the Sherpa suggestion once before. It's called Something Was Wrong, and it's about people getting out of or being trapped in abusive relationships. 
And this was the story about a woman getting away from a controlling ex-boyfriend. And she talked about all the strange things that he did. So at least it's nice to hear that people are smart enough to get out of that relationship. And sometimes they don't, sadly enough. Also, there is Vigilante, and this is hosted by Ali Conti, and she does a podcast about a guy named Tim Miller, and he is a vigilante down south, I believe. It focuses on him going after someone that he believes murdered his daughter. So you hear interviews with Tim Miller, and he's definitely an interesting type of character. Kind of reminds you out of someone out of a movie or a TV show or something like that. I only checked out the one episode, but definitely seemed intriguing for a vigilante type. And finally... This is a really unusual one. It's called Betrayal, and it's about Jennifer Faison, who was a TV reporter who found her college sweetheart and married him, and then later on found out that this husband of hers had committed a crime, a sexual assault against a minor. And not only that, he was having multiple affairs while they were married. And I don't really like to give away spoiler alerts uh, on these types of podcasts, but I think I really should bring this one up. Jennifer ends up speaking to some of the women that he cheated on her with. I thought that was really kind of unusual. I was reading some of the reviews. I was curious as to what some of the listeners thought. And there seems to be two sides of the fence with this one. Some people thought it was a great idea. Some people thought it was really cringy to listen to. So I I don't know where you might stand with stuff like that, but uh, just giving you a little heads up with that. But it was it was definitely well done. These are all well done podcasts, Rebels. Even though it's dark subject matter, you might find one that might be your next favorite podcast. So maybe have a listen to one of those. They're all listed in our show notes if you forget the titles. And you know what happens now? We head into Dun 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 The Outro. A very special thanks to Michael Arboway for swinging by the Sharper Chalet. And we hope you've enjoyed this show. And if you do, you know what you can do for me? Please, please, please leave me a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to let people know about this show. You know, we don't want to keep it a well-kept secret. No, we want it out there, out there, everywhere, to the masses. Speak to the masses, folks. Review, review, and share. Share on social media. You are more than welcome to do that. You can follow the show on social media at Sharpolution, of course, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also, you can check out my website. Guess what it's called? Sharpolution.com. Or you can hear all of the episodes from the very start. And you can see the link to purchase podcast merchandise. Swag! Swag! And also, if you want to help the show out by donating money to a poor little Sherpa, you can do that as well. And also check out some of those side projects. Next week, we will be speaking to the man who calls himself the most charismatic man in entertainment. And oddly enough, he doesn't get confused with me. I don't know why. I don't know why. His name is Percy Brown. He is an actor who also hosts a podcast called The Prince of Fresh Air. And I was on his show and he got to return the favor and come on my show. And he's a super nice guy. We had a lot of fun. We always have a lot of fun here at the Sherpa Chalet, don't we? I know. I say that all the time. But anyway, check it out. Mr. Bruce, it is time for us to head on out of here. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks again for listening. Viva la Sherpa Lucian. And bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Too Many Podcasts. Please disperse. You can go home now. I said you can go home now. 
Viva la Chapalation! Viva la Chapalation! <laughs> oh. Yell, come back now, you hear? <laughs> <laughs>